Hello, welcome back to Division One Rejects. I'm your host, Kobe Manzo. Episode 138 tonight, recording the night before Halloween here. We've got a great episode for you today. I'll be joined here shortly by the starting quarterback from Harden-Simmons. That's Galen Glenn. They had a pretty big win this weekend. First time they've beat UMHB since 2015. He was obviously a big part of that. Um, now they pretty much own the ASC. They've got two games left. Big playoff implications for the Cowboys down there. Otherwise, though, some other storylines. A lot of D2 storylines today. We had the first Division II regional rankings come out from the NCAA Selection Committee. So Super Regions 1 through 4, I'll review those. Um, I actually felt really good about a lot of those picks. So not, not a lot of uh, nitpicking from me there. We had a uh, big-time coach in the Division Three realm announce that he will be retiring after the season. So stick around to hear about who that is at a pretty prominent program. And then John Matoka, he breaks Tyson Bajan's uh, overall touchdown record at the Division II level. Bajan's got a lot of records, so sometimes it's hard to keep track of exactly what's going on. But John Matoka has been balling. He's been doing it since he was a true freshman over there at Colorado Mines. We're going to talk a lot about the Ore Diggers today. Uh, they balled out in a top-10 matchup against Western Oregon. We'll break down all the best D2, the D3 games with Jimmy Martin will be coming on the show. Uh, no Matt Schwarzler tonight. I'm going to do my best to cover the NAI side of things. Uh, Matt gave me some great notes, some good feedback, some good insight. But, uh, you know, before any of that, Let's talk about our games and our players of the week. This week was no exception. We had some really crazy stuff go on. And I think let's start with our game of the week. The first up being the Division II game of the week here. And I'll say this always. There were great nominations, great selections across the board. This one for me took the cake. Wingate 34-30 over in-state rival Lenore Ryan in a big-time Sack matchup, Lenore Ryan, previously number seven in the country, Wingate unranked. You see that clip, the first clip right there that played was the borderline last second touchdown from Wingate that ended up sealing the deal. A couple other great clips here um, from the Bulldogs' victory, and what a timely win for a Wingate team that uh, last year opened a lot of people's eyes when they stuck into the playoffs and made it probably to the quarterfinals. Here's a touchdown right here. With about 30 seconds to go, you see him break this one off and stun the Bears. What a game from Wingate. And, you know, some other great nominations. We're going to talk about these games later. The Colorado Mines win. You talk about that Valdosta State upset of West Florida. Wayne State uh, College over Augustana. A lot of big-time D2 games on the slate this weekend. This one stuck out to me. That was our selection for Game of the Week. On the D3 side of things... This, on the other hand, was actually a freaking layup. John Hopkins uh, over at Mullenberg in a top 25 matchup. They're calling this the miracle at Mullenberg. The kick, you need to rewatch this clip. They're going for a kick here right towards the end of the game. It's like three seconds left, tied at 28. And you'll see he kicks it incredibly low, but it's into the hands of one of his own players. Turns around, runs that thing in for a touchdown. So if you're reading the box score, all you see is a blocked field goal return for touchdown for the win. You think, oh, well, Mullenberg must have been kicking the ball. You'd be wrong. I was wrong. So was every other sane person who follows the sport. That's one of the craziest endings I've seen in any level of football in my 22 years of life. Shout out to Johns Hopkins. There ain't no... 8-0, 9-0, I don't care. They haven't lost. All right, they're looking like they're going to be the one seed. Still have a couple games to finish out here, but they are absolutely rolling right now, the Jays over there. Finally, though, NAI side of things, another layup. This one, top three T2 
teams here. Number one, Northwestern taking on number three, Morningside. They go into the fourth quarter tied 20 apiece. Northwestern comes out 14 0s them. They drop a goose egg in the fourth. And you can see the conditions. Pretty crazy. We'll talk about this game a little bit more in depth later, man, but. It was a blow, blow storm. It was a snowstorm over there uh, in Iowa. The Red Raiders from Northwestern coming out on top of that one. They retained their number one spot. Morningside played a quality game in some tough conditions, but uh, Northwestern is very much still that team. Otherwise, though, we can go ahead and, and bring up, you know, right before we get into everything else, let's talk some players of the week. I think we can, I think we can go ahead and, and do that as well while we're here. And it all starts here. With the man under center from UTPB, he had himself quite a day. Kenny Hirschner over there. I hope I pronounced that one correctly. Um, they balled out. They will be in the regional rankings we talk about over here. They're super region uh, number three, I believe, or number four, I believe, excuse me. Um, he balled out at a big day for the Falcons, who are certainly starting to make some noise, put some teams on notice. You got Jacob Harris from Valdosta and their big upset, a big-time playmaker on the defensive side of the ball. Finally, Reitz Vays from Midwestern State, Four for four, long of 45. Hello, that's a big-time boot from a team that definitely has needed it. Caleb Blaha with one of the craziest stat lines I think we've seen all year. He's been doing this all year. Maybe not exactly to this extent, uh, to the tune of seven touchdowns accounted for, but he's been doing this shit all year. Uh, they call it Top Gun offense over there for a reason. You'll hear Jimmy Martin talk about it later. He said that it felt like they ran 200 plays in a fucking game. These guys get up to the line of scrimmage. They move fast. They make explosive plays. This guy gets it done on his on, on his own with his legs for the most part, but he's also incredibly surgical through the air. 40 rushes for over 300 yards and six tuds, and then he was 24 for 33 with 234 in the air and another touchdown. No interceptions. This guy takes care of the ball, and when you look at it, the ball is in his hands 77, not even the count of the times that he might have handed the ball off, 77 times he's accounting for the offense here. That's incredible. Uh, 77 plays in general is ridiculous. That Top Gun offense over there earning them a lot of praise, uh, River Falls. Otherwise, Lamar Wilkes over here from Anna Maria, he had three interceptions. That's kind of a gimme. Um, another, there are some other great nominees for these positions as well, but at the end of the day, man, we got to make a decision on what we see. Um, we're looking at the stats themselves, uh, the player and their history, the strength of schedule, their competition that week, uh, and also the importance of the play on the game, right? It was did it come at a super clutch moment, or were you blowing a team out 56 to nothing? Like, we look at that stuff, man. It all means a lot. And then we've got Connor Murphy here from St. John's, some big field goals on the day. You see his long of 40 there, perfect in the PATs. In their win on the NAI side of things, Joaquin Colazzo, the third, he put up some generational numbers. Eight touchdowns through the air. Did have the one interception, but that Bethel squad down there in Tennessee is rolling. Big part in thanks to 1-3 wearing the purple. And then we've got Xavier Green from Midland. Another uh, G-Pack, a little G-Pack selection here. 11 tackles, interception for him in their win over Concordia. And then finally, Landon Reeves had a bit of, of a boot this weekend. Four for four on field goals, 45 long. Uh, a lot of kickers showing some kicker love here this week uh, on D1 Rejects. But shout out to everyone who uh, sent in nominations for the Player of the Week awards as well as the Game of the Week. Be sure I post it out every week. It's either on Saturday night or Sunday morning. You'll see a post on our Instagram story where you can reply to a question form or on Twitter where you just reply to the tweet um, or X, excuse me. Uh, be sure to send in those nominations. If your guy doesn't get the, uh, get the nod but you didn't send in a nomination, whose fault is it, man? 
But a lot of great stuff, a lot of great football yet to be played. Before we get to talk about breaking down all the D2, D3, NAI side of things, how about we get right over to that conversation with the gunslinger himself, Galen Glynn. <laughs> Joining the show tonight, this man just led the Cowboys from Harden-Simmons to their first win over Mary Harden-Baylor since 2015. It's a ridiculous stat. They now sit atop the ASC heading into the final two weeks of the season. It's the man himself, Galen Glenn. What's up, brother? How are you? How's it going, man? Good to be on here. Good to be on here. Pumped to get you on here, dude. I'm mean, we were talking a little bit before. Like, take the expression of getting the monkey off your back to, like, the trillionth uh, oh, you know, sure. reason, whatever. That's exactly how it's got to feel for y'all, I imagine. That's exactly how it feels, man. But um, we knew that, you know, going into this week, going into this game, that, you know, it was something that, you know, we wanted to prove to ourselves. Our coaches talked about proving ourselves right. Um. And so that's that's kind of the attitude that we had going into, into the game, into the week. So we were super confident that we would get it done, for sure. Oh, yeah. Got to be. Got to be. And um, I'm sure it's not the first time in the last couple of years that you've approached that game feeling the same way, right? But you just haven't gotten the results uh, in the past. And you're a guy that has been through the program, right? Has grown up with mm -hmm. this program. Um, and mm -hmm. I feel like that's just got to be extremely rewarding for you, being a Texas kid, coming here and going through that process of – you know, whether it be on the scout team, then getting some reps, finally being named the starter, then a captain and making that like step-by-step -step progression to be here. This is when you get to do some of the fun stuff that reflecting, right? And looking back. Exactly. Like you said, um, I've been here five years, so I'm, I'm an old guy on the team. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you said, I've, I've seen it all, you know, these over these past few years. And like you said, going into the week, our coaches, I think they, they put together, you know, a really good game plan as they always do every week. And um, it was just, you know, after we, after, you know, we got the job done, it was just the, the, one of my favorite parts of this weekend was going up to other guys who've been here with me, um, other captains who've been here for five, six years. And, you know, we've, we've, you know, felt those, that uh, roller coaster of emotions over these past few years. So to finally, you know, just kind of, like you said, step back and say, like, man, we, we really got it done, man. That's, it's, it's a, a great feeling for sure. With that being said, y'all ain't done yet. Right, we got exactly. a lot more football to play for the Cowboys exactly. down there. Uh, most importantly, obviously, these next two weeks, man. You guys, right now, you sit in the driver's seat. I guess is probably the best uh, analogy there in the conference in the ASC. And for me, I guess just assuming the way you guys are feeling, it's not a matter of oh, we need this team to to win and this team to lose or tie draw. No, we got two games in front of us. We win both of these. We know exactly the type of position we're going to be in. I have to imagine that level of control has to be mm -hmm. a great feeling. Oh, for sure. We kind of control our, our destiny right now in a sense. Yeah. Um, with, like you said, being in a driver's seat. And uh, But the season's not over. We still got two weeks of, uh, you know, business to go handle, you mm -hmm. know, to cement it and, and before we call ourselves champs. And then after that, um, we, you know, we kind of harp on it as a team. We met you know, Sunday after the win and kind of say, hey, in the grand scheme of things, we're far from where we want to be, you know. Yeah. This is just another step in the road and, and chasing our, our goals that we set for ourselves at the beginning of the season. And so, um, like you said, we're, we're uh, hungrier than ever, hungrier oh, yeah. than ever. This is just, you know, another thing that kind of catapulted us into, you know, in the position that we want to be in. Hungrier than ever, bro. That's That should go on a T-shirt. Like, that, that'd be exactly. badass. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Um. But that win has obviously, you know, keep implying about the playoff implications, right? Because after you guys suffered that tough loss at Endicott, who, by the way, we found out is a pretty damn good football team. I don't know if you, you know, mm -hmm. you guys saw that firsthand. Yeah. I think the nation didn't really know that before that game. They've been put mm -hmm. on notice. But um, by all means, after that loss, you guys had to have been, 
I guess for lack of a better term, kind of back against the wall. Because last year you had two losses and did make it into the playoffs, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. But, you know, you and I both know a two-loss team getting into the playoffs is certainly not a guarantee. So you guys not wanting to maybe back into that playoff run now feels like the momentum is quite a bit different maybe than a year ago? Oh, for sure. You know, um, you know, as, as you mentioned earlier, we've kind of been victims of, of you know, kind of having, uh, you know, not having any control over, you know, a say in our in our postseason opportunities, and so um, we make that we make that a, a very uh, focus of ours, and say, hey, like if this is where, like I said, the goals that we set for ourselves at the beginning of the season, and we kind of know what's what what's ahead. We have our work cut out for us, and so we just take it a week at a time, and just kind of making sure that we, you know, cross all of our T's, dot our I's, so that we can put ourselves in a position like we are right now to, you know, have that chance to you know, make that deep playoff run like we, like any team would want to uh, want to do. Textbook answer, by the way. Yeah. 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 That was textbook. Um, no, you, you said all the right shit. I'm not, <laughs> I'm serious. I'm so serious. Um, but like talked about Texas kid come through this program. And if I was reading it correctly, obviously the starter last year, but was this year your first as a captain? Oh, uh, I was a captain uh, last year as well. You were a captain last year. Okay. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't figure that out for whatever reason. But over these last two years, talk to me about how you've, you've grown into that role on and off the field. And um, now at a point where you want to leave your mark, leave your legacy, you and that whole class, obviously this is more than just a, a one-man type deal, but how are you going to leave that mark? Um, again, still got football to play, but talking big picture here. Uh, this this year, man, this, this team right here is special. It's so special. Uh, we've had old guys who we've seen it all. We, we came in, either we came in together and we stuck through a whole pandemic, uh, working out in garages over Zoom calls like we are now. Hell yeah. Kind of, I mean, we've seen it. We've seen it all. We've been through it all. Um, and just being in a, in a captain role, man, it's a huge honor, you know, to be a two-time captain because, you know, our, our team votes on that and they vote in guys who they who they trust with the team in their hands. So, I mean, I'm, I'm beyond blessed to be in that position. And these past two years, man, it's forced me to, uh, you know, grow as, as a player, of course, um, and just grow in my leadership role and uh, just, you know, kind of break out of my shell. I'm more of a reserve type of guy. So um, being in that position, um, I definitely, you know, take it personal and it's forced me to, you know, meet new people and the relationships that I've created on and off the field with people who play or might not play as much. It's just, it all comes together, man. It's something that um, I'm definitely going to miss, you know, once, once I'm done playing. It's definitely one of my favorite parts of playing for sure. Yeah, man. You could say lead by example all you want. At the end of the day, the best leaders, they need to say something, right? In the certain okay. situations, there are moments when and when not to, and that's maybe that's what decides how good of a leader they are in different situations, man. But like you said, coming out of your shell and being that uh, that voice of reason for the guys. Can we take a, a step back, though, and talk about those Zoom workouts over COVID? <laughs> those were fucking ridiculous. Yeah, now, you learned yeah. a lot about your guys in those, uh, those couple months there, and... Uh, yeah, not all of them were pretty, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, being in a pandemic was unprecedented times for all yeah. of us. No matter whether you were playing football, it just, you know, just living everyday life. It was a, it was a weird, weird thing for us. And so, um, my coaches, man, they they um, our coaches and our program, I think we handled it. Um, I mean, top tier. I mean, our coaches, you know, made sure that they were still reaching out to us. I mean, communication was, you know, nonstop. Were they barking um, orders then, through the Zoom call? Uh, and, and that's the thing. They would they would give us our workouts, and then we would hold each other accountable. Okay, as good, teammates, good. You know, we're, we're on there, and so it was just kind of one of those things that's 
you don't you never see yourself being in that kind of position and then once you're in it and then I mean once we get past it you look back and you're like man like as a team we really handled this you know probably the best way that it could be handled because I mean really nobody knew how to handle you know a whole mm-hmm. pandemic in that time so it's um a great experience you know I'm definitely going to you know be able to live live and tell tell my story about how I was playing college football during the pandemic yeah, for sure. yeah. I can just remember like having our strength coach on the time on and you got maybe 20 or 30 odd guys, depending on the time of day, whatever it is. But um, for the most part, you have a lot of guys in there because nobody's doing shit because they're sitting around the house. And, um, you know, maybe we'd do like a timed exercise or something and he would sit there and just count and everyone would kind of do it on their own. Um, Or you just have like, I think we had a Facebook group where we'd like Mm -hmm. upload clips. Like if you couldn't make it to the live session, you'd have dudes posting on Facebook, like, Exactly. Man, it was like every day you didn't know what was going to happen. It was exactly. people got creative too. That's the thing. Yep. Not everybody's exactly. in some state of the art facility, right? So we were using towels and rope and all type of shit. Yeah, we had to get it how you can get it, man. Had to I get love it. How you can I get love it. it, bro. But um, talking about you guys a little bit more, so that's why I got on my tangent there. You guys, you had the best rushing attack in the conference right now. And it appears to me that you're sharing the rock quite a bit back there. Talk yeah. to me about that. Uh, I, I coaches say it, and uh, I back them 100% when they say we had the best backfield, um, definitely in the conference and I think in the country as well, too. I mean, those guys, Noah, uh, Colton, Miles, we got so many people that we can throw in with different kind of styles that can contribute to diff- whatever we may need at the time. And it's just, um, it's just a, you know, as, as a quarterback, you know, that makes my job a little less hectic, a little more easy. Um, and, you know, um, I can hand the ball off to anybody at any time and they can go score. They can go make a big play from anywhere on the field at any time. So, um, yeah, man, that's 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 uh, those guys. Those are my guys, man. I love those guys. That's huge, bro. Yeah. And like you said, um, it's like a next man up type deal, especially when you have that unselfishness. I think it's huge in an offensive backfield. Um, you you tend to ride the hot hand, too, as a, mm-hmm. being like a former running back myself. Like I get that. If a dude's having a game like you better be giving them the rock because that's some dudes just see it differently on a given day. But um, mm-hmm. now, obviously, the challenge for you guys, go one and no again, right? You got Austin College on the road. What mm-hmm. do you got to do to get it done, man? Uh, we just got to stick to stick to what we've been doing. Uh, we actually had a, you know, we we meet as a, a captain's committee, not just the captains. We have an actual committee of, of people that we uh, deem leaders on our team and, okay. and all that kind of stuff. And so we actually met today and we we talk about those kind of things. And so today, that was one of the main questions. Where do we go from now? How do we build? Because we're starting to, you know, pick up some momentum and play our best football right when we need to. So where do we go from now? And so um, we kind of just as a collective just said that we don't have to do anything special. We don't have to change and start trying to become people and a team that we're not or anything like that. Everything that we've been doing and coaches preached on this as well, we just got to keep ramping it up and keep ramping it up and stay on the hunt. And so the things that we hold dear, you know, to our program and our values and our principles, man, we just got to keep enforcing it. So that way we can finish the season out exactly how we want to. Hey, if that committee is full of a bunch of dudes, anything like you, you got a couple dudes in there. All right, I'll yeah, tell you that right sure. now. Some authentic yes, ass down to earth dudes. I appreciate yes, you, bro. I got a lot of respect for you. What kind of jerseys we got on the back there while we're while I got you here? Oh man, we got some. Uh, one of my the goat, in my opinion, basketball. Okay. Got a bronze jersey. Um, okay. A Waco native, uh, uh, NFL legend right there, Ladanian Tomlinson. Okay. And, uh, one of my throwback jerseys from from high school, the All Star game that I was in. So I'm a, I'm a big jersey. So guy. three of the greats. Fan. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's, only, it's only right. It's only right. I got him hanging in my room. 
<laughs> I love it. Oh, Galen, thank you, man. That's all I got for you. Like I said, much respect for you, brother. I'm excited to, to see you guys close out these last two weeks, but then obviously follow you wherever you guys go after that, man. But thank you very much. Can't say it enough, dude. Have a good night. Yes, sir, man. Thank you for having me on. See ya. Appreciate Galen coming on. Added some great insight. Seemed like a really down-to-earth, authentic dude. I uh, definitely have a lot of a lot of respect for him. Um, but what I want to do is move over to the Division Two side of things and talk about these regional rankings, right? And if we uh, let's see if I can pull these up here for uh, there we go, so we can all uh, take a look at these together. Let's start with Super Region Number One, and uh, you know, for those maybe not familiar. The super regions are divided up by conference. You'll see in here we've got uh, the GMAC, the PSAC. Looks like we've got the MEC and the NE10 are the four conferences represented here in super region number one. And then the top 10 teams are selected by committee. Um, and it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, if you're winning the conference or whatever, there's no automatic bids. It's not exactly how this works. Um, it's a little bit different than Division Three getting those bids. So taking a look at super region number one, this region, what stood out to me is that it's extremely top-heavy. I mean, Slippery Rock and Tiffin are two really damn good football teams. That's not taking anything away from teams like Charleston and East Stroudsburg who've put together really respectable years. But when you look at the bottom half of this list, it just doesn't wow me as far as some of the depth we'll see from some of these regions going forward. New Haven has definitely struggled this year. The, the NE10 is is really just not been a great strength of schedule conference shepherd although they do have some very quality wins i will not take that away from them not the shepherd team we've seen in the past uh fairmont state again kind of in that same area kutztown their defense has been on fire and you know defense travels that's part of the what wins you games in the playoffs if that is the case for the bears over there we could see them playing uh you know deep into this one but their offense has been quite lackluster and a couple performances that scares me for them, they also had a kind of an uncharacteristic loss to Assumption to open the year, uh, and then another one kind of halfway through it to, I believe, ESU. Uh, California Vulcans, kind of the same boat, just consistency, right? Just consistency in Frostburg State and that MEC. Um, notice, though, a couple names not on here. I think Notre Dame is probably a pretty big one. Notre Dame College has been having an uncharacteristic down year for the Falcons there out of the MEC. I think losing both to Fairmont and Frostburg State, I mean, maybe even with the Charleston as well. Uh, but you know, this region, like I said, pretty top-heavy. Wouldn't be surprised if a couple of these teams, do you have like a sleeper team or two in here, though, that could could definitely surprise. Slippery Rock and Tiffin, though, definitely a cut above the rest. Moving on to Super Region 2, though, you'll see this is basically the Gulf South region. Also, we've got the uh, the SEAC in here, um, you know, a couple other spots, but um, the SAC, excuse me, there we go. But Benedict, number one, and... I understand why Benedict is number one because they're undefeated. They have an unblemished record compared to two, three, and four, all Gulf South squads. But when you watch these games, and I've got to tune into at least most of these teams, I don't see Benedict coming out of this region, and that's just my personal opinion. I think their strength of schedule has people uh, maybe fooled a little bit. We saw their game again. I think we believe it was against Miles where they had quite the scare and uh, – when I see these Delta State, Valdosta State, West Florida, like those Gulf South teams that have been beating up on each other the last couple of weeks, the type of football they've been playing heading into the playoffs feels like they've been playing playoffs the last two weeks. Like these teams are well-oiled. They're ready to go. Um, and I think these, these Gulf South teams are definitely ready to surprise. And now you're down to number five. Lenore Ryan, who was the number seven team in the country last week, they get upset by Wingate. Their offense, incredibly high-powered. They get that thing done through the air. We'll see if they can continue to do that and rebound after the loss of the Bulldogs. But for me, 
one through five in Super Region Two, we've already gotten uh, the ceiling is a lot higher than Super Region One. I think this is there's a lot of great competition here. Not even to mention teams like Mars Hill, Fayetteville State, West Georgia, Fort Valley, and Virginia Union, who have respectfully put together some some quality seasons. But you know, for me, those Gulf South teams, I think, are really going to make some noise here. Um, Benedict and Lenore Ryan, certainly in the mix. Team like Mars Hill has had some really quality wins. Uh, but, like, you talk about, like, a Fayetteville State or a Fort Valley. Again, I don't think the strength of schedule is there to really warrant eh, the records there. But they haven't played the same schedule that some of these, these other squads have. Uh, moving on to Super Region 3, though. And I think this is where you get the best region, top to bottom, competition-wise. Pittsburgh State, Harding, Grand Valley, Central Missouri, Indianapolis, Davenport. Then you go Washita, Ferris, Missouri Western, and Southern Arkansas. Holy shit, basically. is That's 1 through 10. Uh, <laughs> 1 through 4 here. I'm trying to think. It depends on the rankings you go by, but these teams are like all top 10 teams. Uh, Indianapolis, obviously an unblemished record over there in the GLVC. The rest of that conference has absolutely fallen to shit. It seems like Truman State getting upset by Southwest Baptist. We thought the Bulldogs were going to give India a run. They did. It was a competitive game. Uh, Quincy has kind of fallen off as well. Indianapolis, the sole one left over there in the Great Lakes Valley Conference. That's not taking anything away from them. They're a damn good football team. That's why they're on this list. But otherwise... You talk about Pittsburgh State that's already beaten Central Missouri this year. You talk about a Harding team that's already beaten Wachita Baptist and beaten Southern Arkansas, right? And these squads, I mean, this is going to make for some really, really fun football. Not only that, these you think about the style of football from these teams. Teams like Pittsburgh State, Harding, Grand Valley, Ferris, right? These squads that are just uber physical and they just play and they win and they lose the line of scrimmage. Um, well, Harding, I mean... They might not even throw the fucking ball. They might just run it the whole time. But that's what they can do. And they've been able to do it very successfully. You can see there in the GAC. Um, by the way, conferences here. Look, we've got MIAA. We've got the GLIAC, obviously, the GLVC, and then the GAC, the Great American Conference in Super Region number three. And, again, this is the most depth to me. Ferris State, the reigning back-to-back -back national champion at number eight. That's all you need to tell me. Right, And they're going to have a chance this week to really prove themselves against a Davenport team that is ranked higher than them right now because of that unblemished record. Davenport finishing the last two weeks against Ferris and GV, respectfully. Let's see if the Panthers can make some noise. Last year, absolutely not. Horrendous. This Davenport team, I'll tell you firsthand, better team than last year. Much improved, more well-rounded, seemed to be able to close games and finish in tight situations. We saw that last week against Saginaw Valley. So, to me, the strongest super region right here, would not be surprised at all to see whoever comes out of here take it all. That brings us to our last Super Region, though, highlighted by the number one squad in the country right now. All respect to the Ore Diggers in Colorado Mines. They're followed closely by the team they just blew out at home in Western Colorado. And then you've got UTPB finally getting, I think, the respect they deserve, the Falcons up there. And then you've got Central Washington, the NSIC, four squads right there in Augustana, uh, Mankato, Bemidji, Wayne State followed by Angelo and Texas A&M Kingsville. This one is interesting. Mines, Colorado, make a lot of sense. UTPB, their only loss in the year is actually to that Mountaineer team right ahead of them. Central Washington has been lights out. Guess what? UTPB, Central Washington, they play last week of the year. We're going to see who comes out on top of that one. A two-loss UTPB team, try and say that three times fast, 
Let's see what the committee does if that happens. I think they take that Central Washington game. It's going to be very competitive. Uh, CW, their defense has been incredible, especially their defensive secondary. Talk about Tanner Volk, a guy who has, you know, looking to set some records as far as, like, interceptions and other things go in that defensive secondary for, I believe, the Wolves. Um, but this uh, it's going to be – there's a lot of parity that could go on here because you got this Augustana team that is one loss to that Wayne State squad. It's a three-loss Wayne State team, but they've already made it through – the gauntlet of the NSIC playing Bemidji and Mankato and Augustana, right? Not to say they don't have any, like, good games on their schedule left, but you've made it through kind of the dogfight situation of that conference. Um, and that's where teams like, I believe it was, uh, and I'm totally blanking, ah, Mankato. Like, Mankato still has Duluth next week. And now you're thinking, like, you know, Duluth just played Bemidji hella tight. And that is going to be something where, it, you know, if, if Mankato loses that game, then you have a two-loss team. But then you look at the bottom of this list. You've got Angelo State and Texas A&M, Kingsville with three losses to each of their names. I'm taking a two-loss Mankato team over any of those squads anyways. I think Mankato is the lock for this. I think we're going to have a minimum of three NSIC teams. Excuse me. I think there will be four, uh, again, as there were last year. Just because the Lone Star this year... The bottom half of the Lone Star just has not done it. Angelo State is kind of disappointed, albeit their losses are two very quality football teams. Uh, you know, a couple of them on this list, right? Kingsville, kind of in the same fashion. We thought their defense was going to come out, maybe uh, surprise some people this year out of that conference. But the Lone Star right now, not feeling uh, very balanced. It feels like this region could be also pretty top-heavy as well. But any of those NSIC teams, excuse me, could could certainly make a run at. So that's that's at least my kind of quick breakdown and uh, synopsis of the regional rankings. I would love to hear what you guys think. Please uh, comment, reply. I don't know. Rip me a new one on the, on the socials. I don't care. I feel like as far as the actual picks go from here, I, I feel like it's pretty spot on and it's, it's their job. It should be. But as someone who follows all this pretty closely, as I hope you can at least pick up, I feel like they did a good job of selecting these. And what's important to note is that these are the standings as of now. This has no bearing on the actual playoffs. Like this is, is if the playoffs were to happen tomorrow, this would be the setup. We've still got two more weeks here before you know, a lot of things are going to shake up. That Ferris State-Davenport game is a great example of that. That could certainly shake up these rankings a lot, even though I think both those teams, they might even just flip-flop spots. But, you know, very interesting spot here. Another one, Missouri Western's got Pittsburgh State next week. Pittsburgh State, do they take their first loss of the year against a really solid Griffins team? Or are they going to bounce Missouri Western out of this, uh, out of this top 10? I guess we'll see. But... Otherwise, a lot of good, a lot of good speculation there. Let's get into talking about some of these D two games, some of the biggest ones from this last week. I think you know we talked about Wingate a little bit, so we'll move on and talk about Augustana, number seventeen team in the country at uh, uh, Wayne State. And when you look at this game, by the fourteen to twelve was the final in this one. The conditions. We're ridiculous. It says here 27 degrees with about 10 mile an hour wind. The weather just says snow. That's all it says. And let me tell you, there was snow. Um, when you look at this one and the actual like box score and some of the stats, Wayne State did not score in the second half. They led 14 to 2 at halftime. Um, and Augustana tried to pull something there late. They had a field goal with about four minutes left to bring it within two. Uh, They're trying to play it safe. Augustana starts out with a safety. You knew this was going to be a crazy game. And then you've got uh, a touchdown 
for Wayne State, but then a 64-yard pick six for the Wildcats. That seemed to be the game clincher and ended up being the game-winning touchdown. Um, they just couldn't bounce back from that. And it, there's some of the offensive stats. If we go and look at the actual like team stats here, Wayne State had three first downs on the day. Their offense could not really get anything going outside of the first quarter. That pick six was so big for them. They actually finished with negative 23 rushing yards on the day. And 43 passing. So if you combine those, you're looking at a net total offense of 20 yards for the Wayne State Wildcats, and they just beat an undefeated Augustana team. What the f- what? It's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Um, Augustana had a bit more success rushing the ball. Uh, they ran for about 150, threw for about 150, had 14 first downs of the day. In almost every statistical sense, they're beating Wayne State. And it for me, their time possession, 37 to 22 minutes. Like they're they did a lot of things right. Um they just couldn't couldn't get in the red zone and finish drives. They really struggled on third down. Both these teams were one of 13 on third down in this game. Like, I cannot stress enough, the weather was so shitty. These teams were just struggling to get something together. Um, but kudos to Wayne State. I mean, a team with its back up against the wall, still with obviously some playoff implications on the line, even having three losses, just because of the quality of schedule that they do play. I mean, what a game. What a game for them, man. That is, that is something else. Uh, if we look at... The schedule moving forward for Wayne State, they're at Sioux Falls and then at Concordia St. Paul. Those are two games that the Wildcats should relatively easily handle, if I were to guess. And then you're looking at a team that probably does sneak into the playoffs for sure. They've already got quality wins now over number 12, Augustana, then number 17, Minnesota Duluth, um, and, you know, went over more ahead to open the year. It's another big one for them. That loss against Northern State last week definitely hurts, but um, for the most part, like this team is is right where they want to be with the chance to be playing some very uh, meaningful football. Here is at least one picture of the afternoon that we can uh, we can take a look at here. Hold on, if my computer is going to stop bugging out, there it is. Check that out. That is a snow game in Nebraska, baby. Sick. Wait, what a great time. Like people always think white uniforms with the snow, right? What a great time to wear the all blacks. I think that's badass. I think that's so sick, but that's a, that's a peek at the, uh, at the conditions over there. We can move on though. Let's talk Frostburg state at Charleston in a big time MEC matchup. Uh, both these teams, obviously in that super region in the rankings there, Charleston comes out on top 28, 25, they're having a hell of a year. They're getting it done on the ground behind Siobhan Wright for sure. Um, and in this one, they actually found themselves having to come behind uh, in the first half here. They were down 10 nothing. started to put something together here. They didn't uh, grab the lead until later. And once they did, they held on to it. Uh, Frostburg tried to they score one late to make the score at least a little bit more interesting. But this one was a, a, pretty, a pretty solid win from a, from a Charleston team that we've come to. We've come to expect that. From them, kudos to Frostburg though they did shut down Siobhan Wright, who is one of the leading rushers in D two football right now. He had twenty carries. They limited him to only eighty seven yards and a touchdown. So, not exactly a crazy offensive performance for either of these squads. Two interceptions from uh, Javante Howard over at Char- Charleston. That's gonna even this game up quite a bit. Um, Definitely some big-time defensive performances. Looks like we had four sacks on the day for that Charleston defense. A lot more TFLs. A fumble recovery returned 63 yards by Kayshawn Beasley. Like, just 
this team is playing in all facets of the game right now, and I think that is what makes them dangerous. If you look at kind of their schedule right now, they finish out the year with West Liberty and West Virginia State. Could be interesting. I kind of doubt it. Um, but they already have some pretty quality wins this year over teams like, uh, you know, Gannon, UNC Pembroke. You've got Notre Dame on there, now Frostburg. That one loss coming to a decent Fairmont State team that's also in that super region. So uh, big-time win there, and that's a good, like, playoff solidifying win, it feels like. Otherwise, over in the GLIAC, number 17, Davenport. They host Saginaw Valley. They had to close this one out late. Drove down the field. You call it a two-minute drill. I don't even think they had two minutes. So that's a kudos to uh, to Jason Whitaker and that offense over there for the Panthers, Myron Harris and company. Those guys drove right down the field, had a touchdown when they needed it. They outscored Saginaw Valley 15 to nothing in the fourth quarter. They get it done. They scored 11 seconds left on a 10-yard rush by Whitaker under center for the Panthers. And... Eerily similar to last year, where they eked out a win at Saginaw by one point. This year, they get it by by three. Um, and, you know, some kind of some key notes. Saginaw Valley started a true freshman in Mason McKenzie for them, who actually had a decent game, 22 for 31, 156 and a pick. So, for a true freshman, I mean, that's, what do you expect, man? Um, they did keep Myron Harris pretty low here. He only uh, finished with 13 yards on nine carries, so that's something to look at. Uh, Khalif the Beef. Finished with only 21 yards. So running the ball, Davenport actually got shut down. Uh, they did get it done through the air. Whitaker threw for 255. Did have a pick and two touchdowns. And their receiving core did uh, did a lot from Davenport. They spread the ball out very well. This is where it gets interesting for a team like Davenport. Like I said, this is a better team Davenport-wise than they have been the last two years, which is saying a lot. They've been good football teams. These last two games... Uh, you've got a home game against Ferris, and then you go to Allendale to play Grand Valley State. These are the two most telling weeks for this Davenport Panthers squad. I think they've got a better crack at Ferris than they do Grand Valley, personally. We'll see if they can make any noise. Grand Valley, or excuse me, Ferris has their back to the wall right now. I think they're going to get a pissed-off Ferris team this week. With that being said, I'm very excited to watch this game. I'm very excited to see the outcome uh, that one. Otherwise, RMAC news. Let's talk Colorado Mines. Uh, they host Western Colorado in the top 15 matchup here. It didn't feel like a top 15 matchup. All right. 42 to 7, the Ore Diggers prevail. Not only do they prevail, they fucking dominate. They get up 14 nothing. Western would score a touchdown of their own. 14 7. Here we go. We got a ball game. No, we don't. 42 7. Lay it on you. Um, John Matoka. Continues to ball. Western Colorado did not score a point in the second half of this one. His final stat line, Matoka for the War Diggers, 22 for 34, 241, three tuds. Did have an interception, took two sacks on the day. His big feat on the day, though, not coming through the air necessarily. More so in total touchdowns. Here you can have a look at it. He passes Tyson Bajent, and he is now the NCAA Division II career touchdown leader. Hell yeah. Shout out to you, John. What a career for the kids. Started as a true freshman for the Ordigger. Something that really does not happen over there very often. They want to redshirt all the guys that come through there, as many quality programs do. The record previously held by Shepherds Tyson Bajent. He eclipses that one in the contest. Now, Bajent still holds other records, like the career passing record for the NCAA, those kind of things. But as far as the Division II specific all touchdowns, total touchdowns is concerned, John Matoka is, uh, is now your guy. But... Big-time win for Mines. Uh, they're the number one team in the country. I think they've shown that. They've had 
every opportunity in the world to show it, and they've continued to show up and do it every single time. Their first two games of the year versus number three, Grand Valley, and then at number four, Angelo, two wins. After that happened, you knew this team was locked the fuck in. They go ahead and, and whoop a decent Pueblo team. Uh, same thing with South Dakota Mines, a really handled win, this Western Colorado game. Now you're closing the year with New Mexico Highlands and Fort Lewis. No offense to those two squads. They might want to send it in right now. This Mines team is on fire. Anyways, moving forward, let's take a look. We've got another NSIC matchup to look at here in the Gulf South piece. Bemidji State at Minnesota Duluth. Bemidji State holds on. Duluth plays them very tight. 38-31, the Beavers take care of business in this one. Duluth came back, uh, made this thing very interesting in the fourth quarter. They were down 38-17 going into the fourth quarter. They scored two touchdowns, both on the feet of Kyle Walljasper. By the way, he's a tough man to stop. He is a ridiculously tough man to stop. He was 10 of 19, 19? 10 of 19 through the air for 135 and two tuds. He had another 131 and two tuds on the ground. The dude is built like a brick house. The defense from Bemidji probably got sick of tackling his ass. Uh, but still, it's a statement win for a Bemidji team that needed that in that conference for those rankings. Um, and they continue to they continue to roll. Looking at the schedule ahead for the Beavers, they've got Moorhead this next week, and then they're at Augustana. I think they drop one of those games, to be honest with you. I see Bemidji definitely drop one of those games. Augustana, a team that really wants another statement win. A team that did pick up that statement win this week. Let's talk about those Blazers. Valdosta State, 31-28 over West Florida. And talk about a statement win for Coach Tremaine Jackson over there and his guys. Man, Sammy Edwards has been slinging the rock for the Valdosta. That was no different in this one. No takeaways uh, through the air for them. I think that was huge. They did not do shit running the ball. I'll be completely honest with you. They, their net yardage with sacks considered was negative three. But they were throwing that thing. 275 yards and a touchdown on the day for him. Their defense stepped up big time. Did have an interception off Pee Wee. He struggled to get things going. Um, but he was running the ball very well. I give credit to him there. He had 120 on the ground there. John Giles continues to not be able to be stopped. Five catches for 92 yards and two tuds for the stud wide receiver over there. But B.K. Smith outperforms him for Valdosta. Uh, eight catches, excuse me. 151 yards. But... Defensively is where it uh, where it really happened um, for Valdosta. They had uh, forced a fumble, had an interception. Talked about Jacob Harris earlier with 14 tackles in the day. They had uh, about five tackles for loss. Like These things start to add up. Valdosta did a great job of kind of controlling this one. Even though Pee Wee did have a lot of things going with his legs, Valdosta gets that one done. They needed that statement when they didn't get it over Delta State, but they got it over West Florida. That's a big-time big time win for the Blazers. Otherwise, around the uh, the D2 football scene, let's take a look here at some potential big ones. The Shepard upset. How about Bloomsburg taking down number 21, Shepard, 14-10? That was one I was not expecting. Shepard defense has been playing well. Their offense, I believe, has been very inconsistent. We see another example of that right there. Otherwise, though... I don't think a whole lot. We talked a little bit about that uh, Truman State getting upset. East Stroudsburg dominated Chippensburg. How about Emporia State bouncing back in a big way, taking down Nebraska Kearney, 39-17. And then we have Finley with a pretty dominant win. That's a name that we didn't see on that Super Region ranking right there, Finley. 
Otherwise, Henderson State continues to look really solid. Indianapolis as well. Gannon takes down IUP. That was a big-time win for the Knights over there. Northwood with the win over Kentucky Wesleyan. Kutztown prevails in a low-scoring game against Millersville. And then you've got Limestone picking up the, over the win over a solid Newberry team. But, yeah, I think that's kind of the the cliff notes on most of the, the bigger matchups from this week. MSU Moorhead, how about their win over Winona State? And New Haven taking down Assumption in any 10 matchup that will keep New Haven at least in that super region conversation. But it's kind of the big ones. Yeah. I don't think we're uh, I don't think we're missing too much there. Slippery Rock obviously looks looks damn good. Um, but yes, looking through let's that's probably good on the D2 side of things. Let's move over before we go to D3. I want to talk about the coach at a Division 3 squad that is calling it quits after this year has officially announced that he is retiring and drum roll. Here you have it. From Bethel, coach Steve Johnson he is finally stepping down after 35 years of coaching over there. And the Royals, uh, they're certainly, they certainly owe this man a debt. He has been, uh, from again, I'm not incredibly familiar with the program, but he has been certainly the face of that one. If you're there at any place for that long, um, certainly just an incredible tenure, an incredible run uh, that he's had there. There's going to be... Uh, I think they're having a little get-together after this the the game this week. They got Concordia. They're hosting. Um, but then we look at some of the accolades that he's had in his time coaching the Royals. He was the 2022 American Football Coaches Association Division Three National Coach of the Year. So it's not like this dude used to be a great coach and is kind of like just kind of sputtering out and is, you know, walk up. This man is at the top of his craft, arguably, right now. He's coaching some very good ball. This team's playing a premier level of football. Uh, he's got six West Region Coach of the Year awards between the Coaches Association and D3Football.com. Um, MIAC Coach of the Year awards, he's got six of those. He's in the Minnesota Football Coaches Association Hall of Fame. He was been the man of the year. Like, there's not an award that this guy has not been acquainted with in some way, shape, or form. Um, there's some great quotes in the press release from some of the people that, um, you know, talk about. They have mentioned that, obviously, a national search for the next head football coach will continue after the end of the season. So after whenever Bethel is uh, is done playing. But we talked about their squad a little bit uh, with Jimmy here very shortly talking about that MEAC championship week. Looks like they could potentially get a rematch of uh, Gustavus. So we'll talk about that very soon. Why don't we head right over and talk with uh, Jimmy Martin about the Division Three side of things. Let's delve into D3 then, dude. We had some pretty crazy games this week. Obviously, our game of the week we'll get to here in a little bit. The Miracle at Molenberg. Um it's got a really good ring to it, by the way. Uh, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, but there were some other big ones. We've already talked uh, with Galen a little bit earlier, and I think, you know, you want to start with that Harden-Simmons one. Yep. You know, uh, so Galen had himself a nice solid game, pretty efficient through the air, 10 for 18, 130. And uh, Noah Garcia had a nice game as well for uh, Harden-Simmons. Ran for 124 yards in the touchdown. And uh, pulled, pulled up Marshall also, 24 yards, two touchdowns. Harden-Simmons, you know, they ran the ball really well. Obviously, I think they won the time of possession battle as well. And then Mayor Harden Baylor, obviously, getting their fourth loss. Probably going to keep them out of the playoffs for the first time in a long time. So, uh, obviously, a huge win for Harden Simmons. Huge win for them. So, obviously, look for them to obviously not get into the playoffs and hopefully make a run for themselves after Mayor Harden Baylor had been rep representing that conference for so long. Yeah. And that's what, you know, we talked about with him is like, 
you're not backing into the playoffs, right? Like this time, you're in the driver's seat for your conference. You have a one loss right now to a solid Endicott squad. I remember that game was a, a crazy upset in itself. But last year, they make it in as a two-loss team into the playoffs, and it felt like they didn't have the momentum quite the way they wanted it. Uh, this year, they're rolling, and it's it's definitely a big difference. I'm certain the energy around there is a bit different. Garcia's uh, almost at 800 yards on the season. He's been having a pretty prolific start. And then you've got uh, Colt Marshall, too, over 500. And um, they're, they're splitting the ball out in that offensive backfield quite a bit. A.J. Hawkins and Miles Featherstone both uh, getting decent carries as well. And Galen Glenn is actually the fifth uh, leading rusher on the team. His game has not been much on the ground. He's been doing it through the air. Um, but he's not a stat-padding, like, crazy statistical quarterback. Like you kind of said, he's efficient through the air. I think kicks care of the football pretty well from what I've seen. And, you know, he's, he's just efficient. And he works in their system. And he works in their offense. And... You know, obviously, I'm gonna. He's gonna give the respect to the the opponents that that they deserve, right? But you look at these next two weeks for Harden Simmons at Austin College and then uh, East Texas Baptist. They should they should roll. Like we're looking at a team that should finish with one loss and have a lot of really good momentum uh, going into the playoffs, riding a. Maybe like an eight game, seven eight seven or eight game win streak here after that Endicott loss, man. Mm-hmm. Now, what was that like week three or something? Maybe. Yeah, it was week three, so yeah, it'd be a, that's quite a that's quite a streak you're on. Yeah, was and obviously you know, beating, your, beating your rival is just huge too. It's really like the win of the year for them, I would say. So absolutely, no, absolutely, and um, you touched on I think some of the other key stats for these guys, um, but when you look at some of those, they've actually they're very even on time possession as it concerns the whole year. They haven't really dominated uh, in that area of the game, but they certainly have uh, made up for it in others. The total offense is again a lot of these stats kind of nothing really jumps out when you look at this squad. But the thing that they've excelled at is running the ball. I mean, they've done that at a very premium level, and they've done a decent job of holding teams. Uh, in that area as well but we can move on to uh, we've talked about the Gussies uh, quite a bit on this on this show they had themselves a little bit of a scare this weekend huh yeah because uh, Davis you know they snuck right they snuck by uh, Sandvin with uh, 309 yards and four touchdowns for those guys uh, Matthew carry on with 131 and three touchdowns uh, with nine catches as well now I see Jake Bright back with the year he's having. You can always count on him. Eight catches for 102. Um, you know, obviously when you throw the ball for 309 yards, four touchdowns, like you're going to set yourself up for a lot of success. 41 points, you know. They always light up the scoreboard. Gus has been back-to-back weeks now scoring a ton of points. Uh, so I expect them to continue to be very efficient through the air. They've been, they've been a great pass game all year. And then as far as for St. Olaf, uh, you know, coming just short, uh, Theo Duran, uh, 335 yards through the air. He had a great game as well. Four touchdowns and a pick. Uh, and then Jordan Embry had uh, 117 yards rushing and a touchdown for St. Olaf. Uh, and then Derek Hansen had a hell of a game. Uh, nine catches for 117 and two touchdowns for those guys. So, I mean, hard-fought game. Uh, obviously, falling short by just one point. But, um, yeah, this was a, a really of a, a thriller of a game. 81 total points. You know, you always like to see – a uh, bunch of points get scored. Obviously, being an offensive guy, I like uh, high, kind of a high-scoring game. So this was something I uh, definitely had my eye on when I was looking through the scores of last week. Yeah, and they're riding a four-game win streak right now, which I guess um, I didn't realize. We obviously talked a ton about that upset uh, over St. John's last week. That was uh, – or was that two weeks? That would have been – no, that was last week. Um, 
that was a massive win for them. But um, even giving them some more credit here, they've they've won their last couple games pretty decisively against squads like St. Stelaska and uh, McAllister. Um, those three losses at the beginning of the year definitely didn't have them on the right track. You talk about um, against you guys in week two, and then they go Augsburg and Bethel losing by two points and by nine. Like These are some really tight games, close margins. But when you start conference play with two losses back-to-back there, doesn't really bode well for you. And I was curious if they still had a shot to maybe make like, you know, conference championship type of deal. Um, and, you know, for whatever reason here, because their conference is divided, it looks like into the Northwoods and the skyline, Bethel on top of the ladder of those two, sitting at six and two overall right now and five and one in conference play. St. John's is five and one in conference, but they're actually only two and one in the division of the Northwoods because of that loss to Gustavus. And again, I don't want to speak on something I'm not incredibly aware of, but right now it's got Gustavus ahead of that side of the division. So then they would compete for the championship. I don't, I'm not hundred percent certain how that, uh, how that all works out over there. I don't know if you know any, any, any clarification for that. No, honestly, I do not. I'd have to look that up. I mean, I could probably find it on like the three, four, three, three, three football.com. Uh, I think it'd be probably a source to look at. Um, maybe the Hanson ratings might have some sort of like uh, statistical, reasoning for that maybe as well um but yeah honestly i don't know i'd have to do some research on that yeah so i mean just i'm I'm, i can do it right now at least or i try to um but uh, this is just showing some some previous stuff here uh the final week uh of the regular season in the miac is the championship week they'll be ranked one to five in each division based on the current season's in division games only so there you go there's our info right there uh each team will then match up with the corresponding seed in the other division for the final conference game of the season the winner of the contest between the two divisional leaders will receive is it the Mayak or the miak Miak, Miak. I, I, I hate know. this shit. Why does everyone do it differently? <laughs> well, it's definitely the Wyak. I can promise you that. I don't know about that other one. We'll say definitely- the the Miak here. The Miak's automatic qualifier to the Division Three football playoff. So now, and that's that's what I was very interested by, is because now what you have is a team in Gustavus that uh, has three losses on the year, but now because of their play in their division, in the Northwoods division is setting themselves up to be in this championship game and get a rematch, another shot at Bethel, who beat them earlier in the season, slating up to be a, a really big contest. Because a three-loss team uh, making the playoffs in Division Three is not something you hear about very often, huh? Yeah, especially in a conference like that, it's not necessarily like, you know, like an Okawaiak kind of conference. Like, yep. there's probably, like, it's a good conference, but normally you're not going to get a three-loss team from Mayak into the playoffs. But, I mean, obviously, some wild things can happen. You know, if you win, the, you win your division games, you play well in conference, like, you'll set yourself up for a chance at the playoffs. I mean, I honestly don't really hate that rule at all. Mm-hmm. Yep. And during championship week last year, Gustavus uh, pulled out a win over Augsburg, but that was not for the actual championship bid. That was the, the next game down. It's pretty interesting how they do that. So they match them up according to seeds and kind of uh, sort them out that way. So I'm glad we actually just sat down and, and kind of figured that out right now. But yeah, within the division, uh, Gustavus right now, 3-0, and St. John's 2-1. and So if all things shake out the way that at least we're expecting with Carlton being the only one left on their schedule, we're going to be looking at a rematch between Bethel and Gustavus in that championship for the conference playing for an automatic berth into the playoffs. That's pretty incredible stuff, dude. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be a fun one. That'll be a fun one for sure. Really if cool. now, obviously there's still a couple, there's still a game to play. Yeah. And that's again, 
Same thing with Harden Simmons. Like you can't, and I, you know, we're gonna give yeah. the respect to the opponents, but like, as media people, like we just like this is what's supposed to happen. I'm not saying it's going to. This is what probably yeah. is going to happen. Um, especially the, I think the D three level is a little bit sometimes a little bit more predictable. You never know. Let's talk about our game of the week though. Johns Hopkins they pull off the weirdest play probably I've seen, uh, especially at this level. Thirty four twenty eight on a last minute blocked field goal return over Molenberg. Oh. Oh, it was ridiculous. I did not see that. I just saw the box where I had no idea. You that didn't see the wild. video anywhere. No, no, Jimmy, no, come, no, Jimmy, come on. Dude, I normally like I'm on that, but I, I didn't see it anywhere. So okay, well I can, I'll show the video um, in post right here. Snap. Yeah. There's the video, and I'll just talk about it while it's playing now over us. But um, right now. Just in your head, right? Close your eyes. Imagine John Hopkins lining up for what would be the game-winning field goal. And it's tied at 28. There's like three seconds left in the game. And he kicks this ball astronomically low. Borderline worm burner. Does not make it over the line. But it goes right into the hands of a Johns Hopkins player who grabs it and runs around the end and runs in for a touchdown. Oh, no. It was dude. so That's ridiculous. So it almost looked scripted. <laughs> oh, like, dude. That... And, and people are very adamant saying, like, oh, it was real. Like, I, I, I'm not doubting it. it. Just the way that it looks and it was perceived, it was one of the most ridiculous football plays I've ever seen. Because you read the box where you see field goal blocked, you assume that it was the other team kicking the field goal. Not the case. They blocked their own field goal and then scored for the game winner. Dude. That doesn't even make – that's – that's, that's like the craziest play I've ever heard. It was absurd. But we've got the clip posted up uh, on our Instagram and our Twitter as well. Uh, be sure to check that out. Well, but yeah, so that one was ridiculous. But anyways, are there any other takeaways from, from that one for you? Uh, I was going to say, Bay Harvey had a heck of a game. He uh, ran for 93 yards and a touchdown and also threw for 245 and two touchdowns. Uh, did throw a pick, but obviously, you know, still won the game. So um, maybe look to clean up that one turnover. But obviously, you know, still had a hell of a game. So, I mean, obviously good for right now, man. Playing uh, like a one seed, bowling, probably bowling. going to be a one seed. They've had some statement wins uh, over this stretch as well. Muhlenberg being uh, just the latest of which. I mean, they started off the year with that win over Ithaca, and they've had a couple other quality wins even since then. But inside of uh, the continual of the conference, they've been pretty lights out, uh, won a lot of quality games, and they close out these last two weeks at Dickinson and then uh, home versus McDaniel. And – if the rest of the season has been any indicator, this this Jays team is going to be is going to be rolling into the playoffs. Yeah, I'm, it'll be interesting to see their uh, their playoff push. See who they play in the first round, like who's in their pool, things like yeah. that. Yep. And I'm going to talk. Or at this point in the episode, I've already talked about um, the D2 regional rankings that just came out, but a little bit a uh, little bit different there at the at the D2 level. But um, let's move over. Talk a little bit of WIAC stuff. Talk about the man you saw play firsthand this weekend, that being Caleb Blaha and those, uh, that top gun offense from River Falls. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Caleb had a hell of a game. Uh, he ran for 300 yards and six touchdowns. And then he threw for 234 and another, another touchdown. So, you know, they, uh, they lit up the scoreboard a little bit, you know, 49 35, but, uh, Blue was hung in there a little bit. You know, Arthur Cox, you know, old reliable, two, two more touchdowns for him on the year. He's, uh, Stacking up touchdowns, I think he's got like seven now. I want to say he had like about right around 100 total scrimmage yards. I'd have to go back and look to see exactly. But uh, and then Tucker Hogerson had his uh, first touchdown, the uh, the sophomore. 
Uh, he had like five catches for like 46 yards too. My my boy Tuck, you know, shout out, shout out Tuck. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's nice to see him getting the end zone, you know. So that was that was pretty sweet, also. But um, and yeah. looking and at this score a little bit too, um, you know, you guys technically never led in this game, but I'm sure it didn't feel like that because the way you just matched at least, um, basically all the way to the fourth quarter, blow for blow with these guys, right? It yeah. was like right there. Um, and looking at this, like seeing. It technically was a wire to wire win, but again, it probably didn't feel like that, huh? Yeah. Um, obviously being tied at halftime, we, uh, yeah. we came up, we had the ball to start the half and then we went three and out. That's probably the most, uh, critical drive of the game. You know, we talked about that as a unit in the uh, meetings on Sunday. Uh, that's, that's the situation where we just have to capitalize. And uh, unfortunately we did not, but, uh, you know, we're not going to beat ourselves up about it. You know, we're just gonna, you know, we got all clear this week. So now, now we're focused on that, but, uh, For sure. yeah, I mean, Obviously, sucks though because we know we're, we're competitive. We're right there. It's just a matter of just capitalizing and finishing. It's been the Especially story of the get... year for you guys. It feels like, man, you're in just about all these games. Yeah, I think probably another very indicative stat is uh, we only scored a touchdown in the red zone. We had we were in the red zone five times. We only scored two touchdowns man. in the red zone. That's tough. So obviously, that's not gonna get our goal of seventy five percent touchdown efficiency in the red zone. And yeah. Now, and who knows? We punch those red zone trips in the end zone. We maybe win that game. Different so. ball game, dude. Yeah, but obviously, you know, you got cap to the the Falcons and uh, Blaha too. They played a hell of a game. He's balling. The former uh, Winona State Warrior, which I did not know actually, uh, used, used yeah. to play for those guys. But um, looking at their schedule moving forward, this is what I really wanted to talk about with you. Obviously, the big one this next week at home, number four UW Lacrosse coming to town, and this. I guess for all intents and purposes is win and get in for both these squads. They both have one loss in the year. I do believe. Um, yep. And now you're looking at a game where you win, you're in the playoffs and you lose and potentially you settle for the Culver's Isthmus bowl. Yeah. And river falls has won that ball two years in a row. So I'm sure they're kind of getting sick of that. They want I was going to say, if, if your river falls, that's motivation and not that they, you know, they probably enjoy having the experience. Any bowl game at this, these levels are incredible, but Man, they want to get in the fucking playoffs. They don't want to do another little bowl game. Yeah, and I have a feeling that River Falls will be in the playoffs. I mean, they're one of the seven and one, and they play. Who do they finish with? The Cross and Oshkosh. I want to say Cross and Oshkosh. They got Oshkosh yeah. at home the week after, dude. And those are two tough ones back to back. Yeah, you know, I saw something interesting actually today. I was looking at the Hanson ratings, and I kind of just like looking at the spreads and stuff. Dude, uh, River Falls is a seven point favorite against the Cross. Really. Yeah, I think that was a pretty big spread for that I game. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have guessed that. At home, yeah. don't get me wrong, I get I, that part. I was going to say like maybe like three or four, but yeah. seven's hot. The way their offense it's, is playing right now, though, man. Yeah, I mean, lacrosse is playing obviously like really, really good football too. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, you've you've seen both these squads too. How do you think, uh, at least especially on the offensive side of the ball, they match up style wise? Yeah, you know, obviously River Falls has that like. Up tempo offense. I mean, I feel like they might have ran 200 plays. That's what it felt like. <laughs> I mean, I was. I mean, the, the, those guys just play it, play it, play it. I love it, dude. But, but yeah, they have really, really half tempo offense. Um, you know, the cross to have an offense too. You know, you got Helter Brand, uh, Jack Studer. He's been having a great year for them at receiver. He has been but tearing it up, I did, dude. I have a feeling this game's gonna have a lot of points, like a ton of points. You think so? Um, you know, River Falls had a pretty solid defense, but uh, we obviously we. Put up 35 on them last week. That was the most points they've allowed all year. So hopefully they, they could bounce back. But no, obviously the cross is a really good offense as well. So, you know, we'll have to keep keep our eyes on that game for sure. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, sweet, dude. That was, that was, that's good stuff. I'm excited to see the playoff picture kind of become more and more defined here. Um, a team that we've talked about a little bit, Grove City, continuing to roll, claiming uh, their share of the uh, championship over there. That's the, the President's Athletic Conference, I do believe, correct? Yep. Um, so that's yep. a big a big time move for them. I think that the win over Carnegie Mellon was kind of like, it, it happened way earlier, but that was kind of the nail in the coffin. They were just rolling from that point on. Alma continuing to roll 41-20 over Olivet. Um, and, and, of course, the teams at the top, I think, continuing to be so, that being North Central and Mount Union, that I feel like have just been a cut above just about everyone else the rest of this year. Rolling. And it, it's it, – this sounds maybe bad, but it's almost annoying the lack of a strength of schedule in those conferences, respectfully, in the CCIW and the, and the uh, OAC. Like – Looking at these games, you might have one matchup. For North Central, it was Wheaton, and they blew them out of the water. And then for Mount Union, we thought it was going to be uh, John Carroll, correct? Mm-hmm. And then we saw what happened there. And it, even that, like the, who was supposed to be the number two in contention, uh, the games just were not that close. And it's, again, half of it is it's a credit to these squads. They're playing at a phenomenally high level right now. And the other part of it is, like, the other teams just got to get their stuff together. Like, it's it just makes for... You know, people get mad we don't talk about the teams every week. What is there to say about a 56 to nothing performance? You know what I mean? Like, it's tough. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, the North Central will be the headliner game in the first round of the playoffs. I tell you that much. Like, obviously, being a number one team, that'll be – we'll start talking about them more around the playoffs. But, obviously, oh, yeah. you know, they got to start actually playing some better teams if they, think if they want some, some more publicity. Not, not that they already don't have enough, but – Yeah. No, you're right. But, like, still, it's – by the way, I was just guessing on the score. That was literally the score from their game at North Park this oh, last yeah. week, 56 and nothing. I did yeah. not know off the top of my head that was a random, but I, that was it. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good guess. That's a good guess. That's pretty good. Um, yeah, another team I guess we haven't talked about a ton because they've been doing the same thing, Cortland. How about their offense? With Zach under center over there, uh, boys, I believe it is. They have been rolling. That offense has been electric. I would love to see who they match up with in the first round over there. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting. It'd be yeah. interesting. Which then again, they still have to go through Ithaca to close out the year. We got the Corica yeah. Jug game, excuse me, still on the horizon. So um, definitely not a game to, to pass over if you're them. That's like, that's the Super Bowl. I mean, for yeah, all intents and purposes. Yeah, it's game of the year for them I for sure. It. Sweet. But yeah, I think that's all I got for you, Jim. Anything else, brother? No, no, I think that's it. All right, dude. Let's go. Uh, let's go watch the second half of a uh, little Lions dub. Then I know. Yep, yeah, yeah. Go Lions. Go Lions. <laughs> I got him. I got him. All right. Sweet. See you, Jimmy. Thank you, dude. Take care. Thank you, Jimmy. D3 out of the way. No Matthew tonight. Just me for the NAI side of things. I've got a lot of good stuff to talk about, though. And I would be remiss if we started with literally anything else than this snowy matchup. We talked about it already. Our game of the week. D1. Let me turn the audio off on that. We don't really need to hear them doing that. But we need to see them because they're rolling in the snow over there at Northwestern. Northwestern College takes down Morningside. These were the conditions. I believe it was like four to five inches of snow. It looks like even more than that. And it's thick, too. It's hella thick. That is hilarious. They were getting dumped on during their game. What an atmosphere. Look at these guys. When you're winning, who gives a shit? When you're losing... That's when you start to care about some of the some of the outside factors and things. But um, yeah, check this video out. Sliding through the snow after the uh, the W for Northwestern, thirty four to twenty. 
just the number one team in the country. Likely a rematch for the G-Pack title, though, so we'll definitely, I should say definitely, we'll, we're probably going to see these guys uh, square off again. This atmosphere, this environment is uh, is definitely pretty cool, though. And I think I've got another piece here going over some of the stats from this one. So we can take a look at this guy as well. There you can see total yards and passing yards, especially, is where they outcompeted uh, the Mustangs there. Rushing yards, pretty, pretty decent. Um, but the Raiders, I mean, they dominated in this one. For their offense to be this proficient, especially through the air in these conditions, that is a great sign of a solid football team. They are unanimous uh, number one pick in the country right now. Excuse me, and that is for very good, very good reason. Uh, powerhouse game between two of Iowa's best. Uh, Gramstad goes for almost 400 combined yards. He earned a lot of accolades this week. Three touchdowns to his name. Morningside only had 23, basically 24 minutes in the time of possession. So, obviously, Northwestern controlling the pace of the play, controlling the rock, keeping it in their best players' hands. That's what you want. And uh, they were 8 of 15 on third and fourth downs. That's a big contributor of what you're able to do, sustain those drives, keep the ball in the hands of your playmakers. Um, just... You know, not too much to, not too much to say about that one. It's a, that's a pretty dominant win right there. I think we had, I might have a, another clip here. I thought I had some other like highlights, but um, like I said, just a statement quality win for a Northwestern squad that uh, has, you know, met or exceeded expectations basically for the entire year, um, and they continue, they continue to do so. So moving on, we've got uh, Indiana Wesleyan at St. Francis. Indiana Wesleyan. With the 52-21 win over St. Francis, that being St. Francis in Indiana, uh, they now jump up to the number three spot, the highest in program history after the loss from Morningside. Xander Stokes throws for four tuds, 300-plus yards. He had Isaac Smith catching just about all of those. 233 yards receiving for him and three touchdowns. Their defense came up big as well. Eight tackles for loss in this one. Uh, they held USF to seven for 24 on third and fourth down. Big-time uh, playmakers make big-time plays in big-time moments. The wild, the, the Wildcats, right? They, uh, they, are no, they are no exception to that. Um, but that was a huge win for an Indiana Wesleyan squad that is actually going to have the biggest test of their season coming up this next week. As I pull it up, I do believe they have Marion this next week, right? Yes, the last two weeks of Indiana Wesleyan's uh, season here, they're at home versus number four, Marion University. Then they go on the road for the next best team in their conference, arguably, in Concordia, Ann Arbor. Wow, this is going to be... This is going to be an interesting one. Uh, these last two weeks are going to be make or break it for an Indiana Wesleyan team that has been perfect this year. We've seen some really quality wins. Uh, one being over Valparaiso, a D1 FCS team that went over St. Xavier was our game of the week a while back. Uh, that went over St. Francis, no slouch, but these next two are going to be huge for them. The game against Marion will actually be on ESPN+, Plus, which is a, which is kind of a cool little piece there. Otherwise, we had number 21, Baker, versus number 14, Benedictine. Benedictine takes this one 30-6 pretty decisively. They stomped them, uh, made their season and kind of the schedule, the resume, the portfolio they've put together uh, even more impressive this year. They continue to, to build on that. No touchdowns for Baker. 3 of 13 on 3rd and 4th down. Could not convert when they needed to. And uh, the Benedictine running back. How about Dalton Witherspoon? 158 yards rushing on the day. Two touchdowns in what was, I mean, a really aggressive and forward ground attack. They were taking advantage of the line of scrimmage there. Uh, but deflating loss for Baker. Where do they go from here? Um, still a lot to play for, obviously, for that squad who's had a very successful campaign so far this season. But 
that's got to feel that's got to feel tough for them over there. Otherwise, though, this is one of the better matchups of the year. Number seven, Lindsey Wilson at number nine, Georgetown. Georgetown ends up taking this one. Not only that, they shut down Lindsey Wilson. Goose egg from the uh, the Blue Raiders, I do believe it is. Um, but the Georgetown defense, Matt has it written down here, the best in the country. You heard it here first from the Manchester or the best in the country holding uh, LWC to a shutout. They only allowed one red zone trip all game. It ended with an interception. <laughs> that is crazy. One red zone trip. So as soon as the team starts to get excited, they might be able to put points up on the board, snatch it away, take away. We're taking that ball right back. Uh, Ethan Cash threw two interceptions. Obviously, that was one of them. Uh, great day from uh, Harris Nichols, though, from uh, Lindsey Wilson. Seven punts with a, for a 46.3 average, three touchbacks, six inside the 20. That is a day. Hey, how about the specialist getting it done? Uh, over there, but some other great games get some honorable mentions kind of down here. How about friends versus Bethel? And the one that I know he wants me to talk about, there was not a pass thrown all game long friends versus Bethel, Kansas friends wins 43 to nothing without throwing a pass and pitching a shutout friends continues their dominant run. It was just an old school brawl out there. You had six rushers with over 35 yards rushing a lot of big contributors, uh, that's ridiculous. There's not a pass thrown all in a football game. Some people would say that's that's the way the game was meant to be played. That's the way it's meant to be played. Uh, another honorable mention, though, Dakota Wesleyan picks up a huge win uh, versus Jamestown, 34-28. to Jamin Oren becomes the all-time D-dub leading rusher. He's at over 3,500 yards in his career, and they secure their first winning season since 2017. So a lot of great stuff going on for uh, Dakota Wesleyan, the program down there. But uh, as far as the matchups this week, we talked about Indiana Wesleyan versus Marion, and the winner claims the MSFA Mideast Division and Probably a playoff spot along with that. Um, you've also got Morningside versus Dort in a big-time GPAC matchup. Morningside, a huge chance to rebound after a, a, a loss to Northwestern. They've got a quality Dort team that take on uh, Evangel and Southwestern kick things off. They can win half of the KCAC. Uh, Evangel can if they win that one. And you also have Carroll at Montana Western. Um, he says here it looks like the loser of this game gets eliminated from the Frontier Conference race. So still a lot of parity going on in NAIA football, excuse me, but... Um, I think things are starting to really shake out here. Uh, not a whole lot changing rankings-wise. Talked about Morningside dropping just a few spots. Lindsey Wilson as well drops a few spots after the loss. But most of the the same same faces in this top 25 poll. So I think things are starting to really settle in with, uh, with NAI football. But that's all I've got for today's episode. You're probably sick of hearing me talk. A lot of me today. I appreciate you if you've listened this far into it, though, it's, it's been a blast. We're going to keep giving you some, some great content. So thank you for listening. This has been Do on Rejects.